0: KYW News Radio original podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I get the most, uh,
1: the biggest joy out of sharing a story that's going to inspire others. When you see some uh, a student athlete doing something and getting that publicity, and knowing that that's touching lives. For me, that's the biggest thing that we can do here. Is Everyone wins and loses games, but when you can share something that's going to touch someone's life, that's the most important thing we do.
0: And our guest this week is Larry Doherty, who has spent some two decades with Temple University. Right now, he is the Senior Associate Athletic Director for Strategic Communications. Larry, thanks so much for coming in.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Matt.
0: So for people who aren't familiar, talk a little bit about what your job is. Now a lot of people might know a lot of times somebody in your role or in a younger role it's referred to as a sports information director. Correct. Talk a little bit about what that what you do. Well, I look
1: at it as as for your a professional sports franchise would be the public relations director, you know. So we are trying to promote Temple University or whatever university that my colleagues would be at through our athletic teams, our coaches, and our players. So we're trying to sell our school. And at Temple and at other schools I've been at, you know, it's so easy to do it because we have 500 student athletes. We have 19 head coaches. We have so many individuals doing so many things, not just on the field of play, but in the community and just getting educations. And then you follow them and see what they do in life. So it's, it's really a, something we're just trying to promote and sell what's good in athletics and in college athletics.
0: What's a day? I think one of the things, as someone who's worked closely in college sports, there is not your typical day. Like, anything can happen, and even in the most mundane of runs, there are always fires to put out. But, you know, what's an average, as close to an average day as you could come up with? Sure. Why
1: don't we just play it out as if today is happening, and we'll take this interview out, for instance, okay, and just say, you know, we play Temple, Batman's basketball plays uh, at the Pluster against LaSalle, and our former head coach, Fran Dunphy. So I am preparing for that game today. Just finished up our game notes. And game notes to people that aren't familiar is what we provide as PR people to the media so they can talk about our team and know everything that we want them to know about our team so they can be knowledgeable when they're out there. You know, someone who's doing the TV broadcast for the game tomorrow, you want them to come across as if they've been around our program for a long time. And that's our job to prepare them so we give them notes to prepare them. So that takes some time, you know, I'm also doing right now an athletics newsletter. We put out a newsletter every two weeks. So we want to let our alums know and our fans of Temple Athletics know all the good things we're doing, you know, and it's written th- th- through our office with our ath- athletic director, by our vice president, Arthur Johnson. So we're doing all that stuff here. Pretty much, again, everything is involved is to sell the university to people that are going to come, or student, potential students that are going to come to enroll and get a great education.
0: So let's talk about your origin story. Now, your dad did this job at St. Joe's back in the day. Was this always the path for you? You knew that you wanted to do something in this realm or you know, kind of tell me how you got introduced, how you started in it.
1: Well, like my older brother, Andy, uh, who's named after my father, he's the oldest in the family. We were basketball managers at St. Joe's Prep. And when he graduated a year before me, he became a manager at St. Joseph's College, now University, as for the men's team. I didn't plan on working in athletics at all. I planned on that was it. I was going to go and my major was um, at that point was accounting and I changed the sociology. There was no sports management at St. Joe's at that time. So I was just going to be a student. I was just going to be a normal college student follow sports. I like sports. And someone told me that the women's basketball team needed a basketball manager, which I did at St. Joe's Prep. And uh, so it was, I think my brother said, you should do that. They travel to, you know, take on plane trips, which back in the seventies, I wasn't traveling, not playing much. We're going to play Old Dominion. They won the national championship. They've got Nancy Lieberman uh, is on their team. So I'm like, okay, I'll try that. I'd never seen a women's basketball game. Went Jim Foster, who's in the Women's College Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, and coached at Saint Joe's for I think 13, 15 years, and did great things there. Went to Vanderbilt. He was the coach. First year head coach was Jim Foster. His number one assistant, I think, only assistant at the time was Gino Ariemma, kind of a you know little known women's basketball. Coach. Had a little yeah.
0: bit of success in the realm.
1: Yeah, so I got kind of cut my teeth there, and kind of like you know got the like what I was doing. And my father, as you mentioned, he was the SID at St. Joe's. So he was the only person working full time trying to sell the sports teams to the media. And uh, no one was doing women's basketball. So I not only was the manager, but also was kind of like their assistant SID and kind of helping promote women's basketball at St. Joe's back in the 70s. And I got to like what I was doing. And thought, geez, I'm just going to walk out of here and get a job. Well, no, you have to go through a lot of other steps like, you know, got to get internships, go to grad school, do all that. But it became a career and became a passion. And I think what you do, too, it's it's something that, you know, it doesn't even feel like work at times because you just love what you're doing. So,
0: Do you remember, you know, you talk about that as your entry point, but when your dad's doing it, did you get a window into what the job was about through him? Yeah, I
1: did. I mean, I think he cared so much about St. Joseph's and he's in their Hall of Fame and just he's he was doing it even when they weren't paying him. You know, he was only there for nine years. And I think I'm going to be starting like my 39th year in this industry. So he came back, he he knew Jack Ramsey and he kind of window opened up and he took over at St. Joe's and doing PR. So I saw what he was doing and liked what he was doing. And obviously I like sports. But now what he was doing back in 1982 when I graduated is so much more different than what we're doing in 2020. So it's light years removed. You know, we don't use a typewriter. I don't think many of my, many listeners may not know what a typewriter is, but it's it really has changed a lot in how we're not just providing the media with like stats. We are creating, as we mentioned, game notes and trying to put put the university in the best possible light through these teams and travel and everything that we do. And now we've got social media and we've got what's happening with the portal for athletics and the NILs and everything that's happening in college athletics. We're trying to make sure we again realize that it's about the student athletes and the coaches
0: and the and
1: the school itself.
0: I would think and I wanna dig into this deeper, but the job in nineteen eighty and the job in twenty twenty two there are only thin strands that connect them as far as what goes into it.
1: Correct. You know, there was very few media covering the, the teams back then. And and the teams were covered, they were revered. The Big Five back in the 70s and 80s, there's some amazing stories there. And they were covered well by the Bullet and by the Enquirer and the Daily News, and then obviously TV in, in this area and radio. But it has changed so much because of all the websites and all the you know social media and everything every all the other coverage that comes out and back when I first started out it was more about all the positives of college athletics and positive sports now a lot of it becomes let' something's wrong there's a negative you know and there was back then but there's more of a focused spotlight because of all the you know unique media entities that can kind of try to dig through something and for the most part, College athletics and even professional, it's really good. You know, it's entertaining. It's 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 uh you know, and in college sports we hear here about graduating our students and student athletes as much as we are putting them in professional roles.
0: You talked about the job from a promotion standpoint, mm-hmm. that's obviously like a giant pillar, but there's also the you're kind of handling, you're kind of the front line. You talk about the media, you know, and who gets access, who doesn't, you know, getting the kids ready for dealing with that how challenging is kind of that part of the role and when i say gatekeeping i don't mean you're keeping all these people out but just who gets to come to the game who gets to come and talk to the kids what interviews are you gonna really push what ones are you gonna be like ah, we'll see what we can do how challenging is that and how long did it take for you to kind of get your arms around that part because i would imagine it's it's more challenging now than it was You know, when you first started, because like you said, there were eight or nine guys for the most part. Sure. And you knew them and you knew who was what was what and who had an agenda and who was harmless, stuff like that. But now you're probably getting calls from entities that are legit, but you've never heard of them and you've got to make a decision.
1: No, we get that all the time. and, And I'm sure my colleagues do, too. We get emails, we get calls. I mean, it's like you've never heard of the site. And I'll have even, you know, my colleagues at Villanova and at and maybe reach out and say, hey, I just got this. Have you gotten any requests from them? And and we'll kind of share that. What I'll usually look at to see how legitimate is this? You know, one, do they have a website? Are they writing anything about college sports? Or they just want to get in and feel like they're close to the players and the coaches. That's one. Two, uh, you know, if they seem to be legitimate, but we're not certain and they're asking for, say, the Temple-Villanova game, well, that's not really going to happen. But maybe there's the Temple-Wagner game that I'm going to give that person, young person, hopefully a chance to see, are they worth it? You know, because we have some space, there's some issues, but we have some space on certain games. Like I want to give these smaller media entities a chance, but I also got to make sure as we're, as you mentioned, a gatekeeper to say, is this legitimate? Do I need to put my student athletes or coaches in front of this person because it could do damage because you're, you know, you could be, could be reckless, but uh, you know, I've been more open to trying to see what can they provide you know and but then again if we became say for instance duke men's basketball if you're in the top five in the country you're getting bombarded well more than temple and saint joe's and Penn. so it's like we're we don't have that flexibility to, to do that so we have a little bit more right now and i'm hoping that Shortens a little bit because we get a lot better. I I love our team right now. So, but that's kind of where I'm at. If I have the opportunity to try to help someone that's trying to get in, who knows? Five ten years from now, that person might be someone that could really help Temple. So, and we've given them a chance, and maybe we get a nice positive story out of that.
0: You talked about the early days when you're a manager, and then you're doing SID work for mm-hmm. the for the women. You liked it. Was there a conversation with yourself the first couple years that? Well, I like it now, but. I still might, or once you kind of got a couple of years and got through the grind, did you have the bug and like one way or another, this is what I'm doing?
1: Yeah, no, my first couple of years I went from, you know, I, I was a grad assistant at St. Joe's for a year and then kind of went really all in on school, went to St. Thomas in, in Florida, did a grad assistant, and then was full-time at Nickel State in Thibodeau, Louisiana. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners here know what Thibodeau <laughs> is or where it is. So I I do that. And then I also in between there was at the East Coast Conference, which is where St. Joe's and and LaSalle and Drexel were at that time in the mid 80s. They were not. They were all in different lakes. So cut my teeth there, finally came back to St. Joe's and kind of knew where I was. But I think when I was still in that formative stage of my career, I was like wondering, I'm sitting in Thibodeau, Louisiana in a football game and saying, I'm the only Yankee in the deep South. And I'm wondering, is this where I want to be with my career? And then situation to open up at my and at St. Joe's and I became an assistant there and I came back to Philadelphia and I'm a Philadelphia guy. So it was really just a great to get back because you're right. You always say, is this where I want to be? Especially when you're like in your early to mid twenties and you're saying it's work. I like it, but is this where, where's the career going to lead me to when, and and I look back and I say I'm really fortunate and thankful that I did stay the path.
0: But Thibodeau, Louisiana, maybe it's not where you want to be in the big picture. Mm-hmm. But I spent a year in Jefferson City, Missouri, and wouldn't do it again, but really glad I did it. Sure. Is it kind of the same thing and yeah. you you get it you get exposed to things and people that you would probably never get exposed to, maybe get an appreciation for things. You might not agree, you might not want to do it, but you understand where it's coming from. It just kind of helps round you out as a professional, as a person.
1: It really does. I mean, like, you know, especially like, you know, as we've been divisive at times in this country, like I've lived in the deep South. You don't get much further South than Thibodeau, Louisiana, and the people there are just like the people here. So everyone that there's, forget politics, it's just real people, different things that they're dealing with, but the school being a smaller school, you know, was small. I was at St. Joe's. This school was well, it was much bigger than St. Joe's, but just the way of life. Like uh, there was probably 17,000 population in Thibodeau, Louisiana. So a little bit different than Philadelphia. I just really, I, I enjoyed it. I, I love that I've been back once. I would go back again. It's just, a, it was a great experience in my life. I, I went back twice. I was a grad assistant and a full-time assistant. So And it was a place where I could have stayed, you know, and just St. Joe's opened up. And that kind of was where my heart was.
0: So when you come on board there at St. Joe's, what is it like working in the office where your dad worked? Did it add pressure? Did it make it easier? Was there any kind of dynamic with that?
1: Well, not only working where my dad worked, but working with who my dad worked was with Don DeGiulia, who is just a legend. And if he hasn't been on here, we should get him on this (laughs) Agreed. So, because he'd have way better stories than I do. Don, I, you know, is a legendary college administrator. At and he was at St. Joe's for over forty years, and I had the privilege of working with him. One as an undergraduate, and then working with him for fifteen years, you know, at full time at, at St. Joe's. And there's no better person that you can work for, and learned a lot. So it was interesting because working with the the person who was my my father's, uh, you know, supervisor or boss too. So we knew each other well and our families well. So it kind of made it a little bit easier to do that. And the thing is, uh, even and my father has obviously passed, but when he loved the fact that I followed in his footsteps, But when we would talk about it, it was so different, even like 10 to 15 years after right. he had retired, you know, and no one even thought about it, even at that point, the explosion of the internet. So uh, just a whole different dynamic, but what he was better at and what I think the media people or the the PR people back in the seventies and sixties where it was always it was a relationship, you know, and I think I still have that. But I think that's getting lost with texting and tweets and with emails. There's not much one on one conversations anymore with the media. And that wasn't always the case back when I started.
0: What was the when you really take over at St. Joe's or get get in there at St. Joe's, what was the most difficult part of the job to get your arms around like what was the thing that was just the biggest struggle for you well i mean i I guess
1: just trying to do as much as i could for our olympic sports i hate when the term is used Mm non-revenue you know it's uh, olympic sports is what it should be Uh, everyone at saint joe's and i think still does it's it's about men's basketball and then it's about women's basketball and it's like about what else Well, just looking from afar now, they have a really great field hockey program at St. Joe's and lacrosse is doing better. And they didn't even have that when I started. So there's all these other student athletes. When I first got back to St. Joe's, that's one of the things I wanted to really stress to say, let's try to tell this story. And when I started, we didn't even have the Internet, let alone social media. So just try to get these student athletes and get them to feel like they're getting as much love and respect from athletics as men's basketball, because they're always in the spotlight, but everyone's putting on a uniform and, and representing your university. So that was kind of probably the biggest challenge was trying to tell their stories, you know, and get that out there because Philadelphia has so many of those stories. And I think you've done a great job of telling them yourself. And I'm not just saying that as your friend, but just, I, I listen to what you've done and expose stories like that. Not this one though. (laughs) Anyway, but that's what I wanted to do, man. I wanted to really try to to sink my teeth in there and try to tell the stories of those student athletes
0: that don't get told. From your standpoint, how would you approach that? And is it different now than it was then as far as the tools you would use in your toolbox to get a fencing story, a cross country, you know, fill in the blank with whatever sport you want. But what would you do to try to get that out there in 1993 as opposed to now.
1: Yeah, you 93, you're, you're trying to really reach out to reporters to write your story, to try to sell that. And in Philadelphia, that's a challenge because it's not just St. Joseph's at that time or a temple that has these great stories. And there's so much, there's so limited space in the papers and on radio and on television to tell them. It's, you know, you have that. And you're competing against that and also against every professional sport. So it's very difficult. So now it's so much easier to tell it because you have your own website. You can you can either do it yourself, have a student, a grad student do it, or a student worker or your staff and just find the story and then sell it. The greatest story that you can is someone a story that can touch lives. And we had a, a lacrosse player who talked about you know, something very personal that was, you know, that she she shared with us on our website. And it got like 10,000 views. And she was asked to, to talk about something that she was doing to hurt herself, you know, and she had overcome that. And she wanted to share that so others would be able to overcome that. And it was a great story because we always say touch lives. That did touch
0: lives. And she continued to do it afterwards. How frustrating can it be when you've got, A story like that or Mm -hmm. and you you just can't get anybody to do it and it's like you said now you've got the capabilities with the web with your own website and social media to do it on your own but there there are certain times and probably certain places now that are like you know one man one person vans that have one person doing 19 sports and stuff like that how frustrating is it when you just can't make people care for lack of a better term about something they should care about.
1: No, it really is because like you think that you have that story and you know, you've been doing it a while. You say this can help others. And I think our media has shrunk, especially covering sports. So there's not many people that can, you can go and pitch it to, they're going to get that done locally, nationally. Then you've got a really nationally. Usually you get a local push to get the national. So, you know, that'll help you. So it is frustrating. That's why I'm, think we're fortunate at Temple because we have a great social and digital media team where we can tell the story. We can have Vaughn Moss who handles our social and digital media at Temple. Kevin Cobb who can who can provide the ability to tell the story visually. Now we put it out there. Now we find out if the story's real because we share it on our social accounts and if people pick up on it, now that can also then lead to stories down the line on a national level. That's kind of how I say, well, we can overcome the inability to sell it in Philadelphia by doing it ourselves. And if we think it's it, it, it's worth it, we get it out there. Then others see it and they say, well, we now want to talk to that person. And
0: that's happened before. So We need to take a break. We will have more with Temple University's Larry Doherty right after this. This is One on One. And we are back on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with Larry Docherty, Senior Associate Athletic Director for Strategic Communications at Temple University. You mentioned the time at Nickel State, and uh, were you the only person in that office at that point? Myself and a graduate assistant. How many sports ballpark? We had 19. So, obviously, you have to prioritize mm-hmm. with just, you know, football, basketball, things that, are going to draw the most attention but how would you spread yourself to make sure that everything was at least getting the bases covered because i would imagine that is something that when you first start almost has to feel overwhelming like you've you've already written five recaps you've already talked to four coaches and then you look down and there's still three more sports that have stuff that weekend that you have to do something with i mean how did you get your arms around all that. How did you organize?
1: And and Matt, it was a little, it was different. And now you couldn't, I mean, I don't understand see how division two and division three communications professionals sometimes get it done because I know that we have something called Philly SIDA, which is a a group of like networking group here of all the division one, two and threes. Mike Mahoney, at Penn is kind of overtaking that as the czar to make sure we can, if someone needs help, they send him an email and he spreads it out. Now, the school will pay for that because you only have one or two PR professionals, but you have seven home game events. Someone's got to cover them. So that's kind of where we are then. We're now, but then it was not as challenging because there was no internet. There was no story writing. You really just needed to make sure that the game was getting staffed. So you got the statistics out. So it's still a challenge, but we would use student workers. When I first got to Temple, we were sending student workers to a men's soccer game in the Atlantic 10. Cause we didn't have a professional that could handle that. And, you know, I remember Al Schreier and you know, Al, he was just a legendary PR person. And he was like, well, we don't have someone. I said, wow, well, then I've got to do it. And then I wasn't trying to be this hero. I just said, we can't have men's soccer go off and we have a student and it's off campus and it's a home event. The other school, what happens if, to them? We gotta be professional. So we did that. Then we grew our staff. Bill Bradshaw was the idea at that time and just said, I need more grad assistance to kind of plug in. But there are schools that struggle and you just try to somehow find a way and get good students and hopefully they like working these crazy hours we do.
0: So you spend what fifteen years at St. Joe's start to finish? Fifteen, correct. And then you make the move to Temple. Was it the opportunity that intrigued you? Were you looking to pivot somewhere else? Kind of how did it come together?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Bill Bradshaw, who I knew, he had been the athletic director at LaSalle, and I knew him when he was there, and he came, went to the Paul, came back to Temple. I'd only been at Temple for two years, and knew the position was open, so it was like, okay, that, that's interesting, and so I applied for it because the one thing that I didn't have on my resume was Division One football, and if I wanted to improve or, or move up in, in my field, that's where I wanted to go. And I'm thinking this is an opportunity to not even leave my house, right? to drive an additional like five miles and better myself and do this for my family. Even though I'm a St. Joe's grad, I'm leaving my alma mater to do that, but it would be more, I'd be able to help my family more financially. So I still remember it. And I get the offer from Bill. It took like over a month from my interview. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't get that job. And got the call, got the, uh, got the offer, took the position. And I remember telling my uh, kids, my daughter was, I think, eight at the time, and my son, 10, at the dinner table that I'm leaving to go to Temple. And my daughter, Mackenzie, stands up. She looks me in the eye and she said, you traitor. And she walks up the steps, like storms up the steps. I don't think I talked to her for like two weeks. And then she said, well, she somehow got into the cheerleader. Can I be a cheerleader there? I'm like, Sure, and then that was it. We we're all we we're all set, but it was just such a you know I'm like thinking this is great. I'm doing this, you know, making this move. I'm enriching the family and the whole thing, and I'm a traitor. So you know, I expected that from my father, and not from my daughter. So, but no, and it's it's been great since. I mean, I, it's been an amazing twenty years. Going from a, a school that we were rivals and moving over there was, uh, you know, now I'm I'm a Temple L, and my St. Joe's people might not like that but i mean i've been at temple for two decades starting
0: my third was it weird at first though just because you knew i'm you knew all the players all the places you know for the most part you probably working relationships with a lot of people but now you were there was there a period where it seemed kind of surreal like you would rip the space-time continuum and stepped into an alternate reality
1: yeah, it probably was the weirdest when we had a, an incident with St. Joe's, like in my second year with Coach Cheney, and not to revisit uh, what was termed Goongate, but that was tough for me because, like, I knew all of the players on both sides. I knew the administrators at St. Joe's, knew all their basketball players, I knew their coaching staff, and I am a Temple Owl, and I will defend Coach Cheney, and, and he is, there's no greater man, there's some as great, but he is an amazing amazing man and just a great friend. So it was just that was where it kind of hit me, like, oh my gosh, like it's like worlds collide. But yeah, no, I, I I bought in right away at Temple. You know, I mean it was easy because you're working with coaches and supporting them and student athletes. So you you wanna I did a lot of digging deep to read up on all of these sports like so was able to talk to our student athletes and know what was going on but the that second year was the toughest year for it, but since then I've been you know it's like I root for Saint Joe's to win their games i'm an I'm an alum, but when we, we play uh there's no oh that's it's nice that they want no it's always temple, and we play them in every sport
0: <laughs> and just to for people that aren't familiar, that situation was St Joe's temple basketball coach Chaney got frustrated, put a player in for the express purpose of fouling
1: correct hard and it and then it, and it, and the player at St. Josephs became injured Yeah, and not severely, but he had to miss the season because of a, but it, yeah, it was a, it was a national. Oh, incident. it was huge. And, and Matt, you'll appreciate there was no internet back when I mean, internet, there was no social media. Right. So, I mean, I could, I've thought about that, you know, and said, what would happen if that oh, happened? I, I can't
0: you, even, especially you know. someone like coach Chaney, who had a lot of people who loved him also had people that didn't like, like, Oh, it's just, and it's, I can't get my head around what that would have looked like in 2022 media landscape.
1: No, and in the next year, coach, listened to me, and we we kind of did a did some media that he maybe not would not have done to say, let's tell your story because you went through the ringer here. And sure, that wasn't the intent; was not to hurt anybody. The Intent was just basically to, to commit hard fouls. Right. It happens all the time, and to pick the sport, you know, it just an accident happened. There was no intent to hurt. And that's what we dealt with. So now let's talk, tell your story because like I said, there's no greater person who really cares about people than John Cheney did. And, it, you know, being around them. So I'm like, you may not care what people think about you, but I do because like I revere you and I want to make sure that people understand who you are. And I think they did. I mean, I think there are people that really know Philadelphia basketball and college basketball and know that John Cheney is just a great man.
0: Oh, he won one of the, absolute legends. What was it like? Well, I guess when you come to Temple, sure. you obviously you had talked with Coach Cheney over the years mm-hmm. for what was it like kind of becoming part of the family with him at the at the head? What what was it like early on?
1: Well, the funny thing I'd say is I didn't really have as much interaction as I would have probably, you think, back then it, and, and uh, when I was at St. Joe's. When I first got here, I was like, well, I work with Phil Martelli and, and Phil was always like, don't call me coach, call me Phil. So I'm like, when I'm going to be with coach Chaney. I'm going to be like, I got to set that as being like, I'm a professional. You are, I'm working to help you. So I call him John. He was fine with that. And he knew my father. So that got me in. I right. mean, it wasn't in Shry, It was my father. You're Andy Dock's son. You're in. So I remember being over in his office. Now this is maybe after quite a few months and I'm calling him John and he would pick the phone up and he'd say, coach here. He called himself coach and I'm calling him John. So I'm like, I feel like I'm disrespecting him. So after that, I just said, I'm just going to keep calling him coach. And that's all I did the rest of the time, even after he was done coaching, because uh, that was just a term of endearment to him. And when you call yourself, it, it's like, there you go. But it was kind of like, you know, I tried to say, I can't be intimidated by this legend of a man. So I tried to kind of work with him and find a way. And, and he's just, a, he was a sweetheart. All the, the antics in the sidelines, just down to earth, sweetheart and being around him away from the court, off campus and stuff, just to see him, how he interacted with people. He really cared about people, which
0: was great. Do you have a favorite John Cheney story that you can share? Ooh, that I can share, huh? <laughs> That's the, doing a lot of work in that sentence.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, you know what? It would probably be after he retired and he, was at, he would go to a Walnut Lane golf course and he would play like Pinochle cards with a lot of other retired people. And, and he was the only person of color in the room. I used to think there were people would thought he was racist, you know, and, and there wasn't a racist bone in coach Cheney's body and he would stand up for things for injustices. But he's sitting there just having just a great time playing Pinochle, not playing for money at a golf course. And I look and say, if people that really judged him could just see this man and this and, and, and just, it made me feel good, you know, and. I love setting up interviews and we would go out to the golf course and do interviews, some student media and stuff like that. Couldn't be a nicer person to do it. Just the persona. And then the reality. That's what I always remember about coach Cheney.
0: You've dropped some names, Phil Martelli, John Cheney, and you go on to work with brand Dumpy. These are kind of the top level guys that you've worked with and yeah. all guys that got it. Understand your role, the importance of your role, the importance of where they were doing, what they were doing and stuff like that without throwing anybody under the bus specifically, have you had situations over the years with coaches who didn't get it? Maybe didn't just didn't want to get it. And how do you maneuver when the person that's kind of the center of that universe doesn't want to cooperate?
1: Yeah. and Yes, I would say yes. I don't think it's, I think it's rare, but you're going to get that. And I think earlier in my career, when I was younger, I would get it more, you know, and it just depends. Everyone's different. Right. Everyone's got different personality, and you just got to try to find common ground and work with that. So you can't, you know, get your back up when you're treated like that. But you also have to stand your ground and be professional with the the coach. So that's why I try to tell our younger people to say, like, you know, you don't want to be mistreated, but just remember that you you don't know what's going on with that coach in that moment. Like, you know, even a student athlete, what's going on in their world. Just you be professional, and then hopefully you can. Bridge that you know that's kind of how I look at it. Thankfully, it hasn't happened as often. It might be because I'm just getting old. people don't
0: do it, no but... I, I think just for my dealing, most folks get it. they even yeah. if they don't like dealing with the meat, they understand yeah. that it's a this is a little harsh term, a necessary evil. but there are I think I've also come across folks that just don't care well, that just and the
1: toughest time is your last game. you're at the NCAA tournament is always the toughest time. Someone's going to lose that game. And if it's an overtime game, and it's going to be, I, I can't imagine the year after I left St. Joe's when they went to the Elite Eight, they were one, 10 seconds away from the final four, basically. And their best player, and who is a friend of mine, Jameer Nelson, misses that jump shot, not an easy jump shot, on the run and just rims off. And what they go through, and now they have to go face the media. You know, and try to get them to collect themselves. And Marie Wozniak was followed my footsteps and did a great job with them. And you have, sometimes you get lucky and you have a Jameer Nelson who just couldn't have been a better person from his first day I met him until even now, just handling himself and knowing that people are looking at me and I can impact people by how I handle a situation, especially one that is negative toward me, you know, in terms of losing the game. So. Anyway, I just that's kind of a long way around it, but you know,
0: of how
1: to handle that.
0: So, have kids changed for the most part? I mean, I'm sure yeah. the interests, maybe the things they have to deal with have changed, but do you feel like the student athlete that you tried to promote in 1983 is basically the same kid in 2022 just different circumstances or do you feel like for the yeah. most part there there's a a difference? I
1: would say there's a difference with just forget student athletes with students in general, because when you talk about when I started until now, there was no social media. I think social media has changed so much. Everyone's wondering what, For the I shouldn't say everyone, the majority of people are are worried about who's liking what, or who's following them on social. What are they saying about me? There wasn't any saying about you back then. You know, maybe they were talking about you, but they weren't tweeting it out and cop putting posts in your name. And there are pictures about you. That to me is something. And then also now, I think college athletics is starting to change because of NIL and everything else that's going into it, for good or for bad. There's more opportunities for our student athletes now to enhance themselves financially because the rules have changed. And that's going to be probably five or 10 years from now to see how that impacts who they are. But my interactions with our, say, our Temple men's basketball team, which I'm closer with because I cover... I. Travel with them now, as maybe with St. Joe's basketball team in 1988, hasn't really changed that much. I think they're still young men that are trying to find themselves. You know, there's probably more media focus on them, but I think they still handle themselves in the same way. You know, just a couple more distractions, maybe.
0: What is it like to have a job where the phone can ring at any time and it's something that you're going to have to deal with? How do you not let that become overwhelming and kind of take over? Your life, Because I would imagine there are probably certain stretches where you're just, it's constantly, you know, I don't even mean put out fire, yeah. but you just constantly have to deal with stuff.
1: No, there's the worst thing that can happen is
0: when there's a, a death, you know, and that's an
1: unexpected death. And I've had to deal with that a few times and that's when everything stops. And we just, the off, off focus is make sure that the family's okay. You know, make sure that w- what we're saying and how we're saying things, the family's aware. I mean, we're not, you know, just say when Coach Cheney passed, since we were just talking about him, I called and talked to his son because I had heard this on social media, but no one could confirm it. And I had talked to him like the week before, you know, and I talked to John, young John and, and he told me, and then, you know, we basically both cried, you know, and then it just happened within like an hour and a half. Somehow that got out. And it's just like, okay, you tell me when. I mean, it's your family. Like, you make sure everyone knows, but your father's a national figure and we need to say something and you'll see it and we'll make sure we're good. And it can happen with a student athlete, which is the worst that can happen to, And it's happened there too, where you're dealing with so much tragedy. Every time I see that with a school that has to deal with that, it's like you just feel for everyone involved, the family, but you feel for the people that are trying to just do the best they can. And then also you have other responsibilities, and but everything has to stop. Everything's got to be buttoned up on that one thing. Cause it's so important because you're dealing with, you know, people that just lost a loved one. So that to me is the biggest crisis, as we call it in our industry, when you have something that's so unexpected out of the blue and you get a call. There's there's times where kids make a mistake. You know, we've had issues where someone has been arrested. It could be such so minor, but it's like, that's a crisis. But there's nothing worse than when you have someone who has lost their life. If it's a coach or if it's a student athlete. So, I, I, not to bring us down here, but that's just, to me, that's the the thing where we have to make sure we're dealing with everyone, you know, and respectfully, and, and making sure that we're not rushing the news. I mean, we want to make sure that family is ready for when we say anything at all. Do you remember your first crisis? Oh well, wow, uh, I, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I mean, because uh, that's the type you know, of thing I, I would
0: think there's not a there's not a manual that tells you to walk through it. Like, that's something you have to experience right. as a human.
1: And I think it might have been. I mean, I think it was at St. Joe's and I, and I, and I think it was the death of a student athlete. So uh, I don't want to go into right. on it. But I, I think I was talking to who was at St. Joe's too, Joe Lenardi. And he was u- handling university communications. And Joe is Mr. Bracketology, but just to go through how he would handle this. And how the university would want to handle it because he was doing it from the university side. But yeah, I haven't had many, Matt, which is good.
0: We mentioned Fran Dunphy, who is one of those guys, he's everywhere. It is amazing. And when I say everywhere, I mean showing up when somebody passes, showing up when somebody maybe coaches a first game. What was it like being with him?
1: Well, he was, like I knew him before he came to Temple. He was such a caring person. He knew my father well. So to me, that was uh, something that uh, having that relationship was special. Just an amazing man who just happens to be a, a tremendous basketball coach. And I'm happy to call him a
0: friend. Favorite part of what you do?
1: I get the most, uh, the biggest joy out of sharing a story that's going to inspire others. When you see some, uh, a student athlete doing something and getting that publicity and, and knowing that that's touching lives, to me, that's the, the biggest thing that we can do here is everyone wins and loses games. But when you can share something, that's going to touch someone's life. That's the most important
0: thing we do. We talked about the difference in the landscapes from when you started to now. If you knew what you knew now, would you get into this business starting today?
1: I still would. Yeah. I mean, I I love what I do. I love promoting others and promoting what's good in athletics. So I I really do. I mean, uh, I'd like to be a millionaire too, but I mean, if I don't get that, I'm happy promoting others. So I, I, I would get back into this business and I would I love selling this business to students to say you should you want to do something if you're not going to be a professional athlete or an athlete, but you love sports. This is a good way to be involved in sports.
0: What is the biggest thing you tell young, aspiring people getting into the PR, SID business?
1: Well, you, you don't have a life. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of hours. This isn't a nine to five job. But the one thing is you're going to be around something that you're a part of and you're part of a team. To me, that's special. So if you like athletics... This is a great way to be a part of a
0: team and you're promoting,
1: you know, all the positives of sport.
0: Larry Doherty, this was so much fun. Thanks for coming in. Well thanks, Matt. You got it. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Larry Doherty, Senior Associate Athletic Director for Strategic Communications at Temple University, for being our guest this week. Now, if you like this show and you listen on Apple Podcasts, want to help us out, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on pod You can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Thanks so much for listening. And be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.